You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes Deadair Nipe with always... Typical Lydia. On today's show, we're going to be doing the 1982 not-so-classic movie Basket Case. It's got a cult following, though. It is a classic. Oh, my God. And it says 1981 on the cover, so I'm confused now. Is it a classic or not, Wes? Well, it's a, it's a cult classic, which basically means that when you first watch a movie, everyone's like, oh, this is stupid. But... Then other people are like, wait a second, you gotta watch this because you won't fucking believe it. And this movie really exemplifies a lot of the successes, the success stories, Lydia, of the 1980s because of home video. Now, a lot of people talk about the 1980s in horror, especially if you're of a certain age, like it's the fucking greatest thing in the whole goddamn universe. Or you temper that opinion regardless of how old you are with the fact that it is high camp. It's very high camp. In the 1980s, you had your Freddies, your Jasons, your Chuckies, all this fucking shit. And and that's what people really remember about that decade, especially casual horror fans. Yeah, things that were in theater. Things that people rented in groups. But that is just the tip of the fucking iceberg. Because, oh my god, home video absolutely changed horror movies forever and that's how come there's this period of prolificacy in the 1980s where so much was being made because creature shops were opening all over the place because people like Tom Savini and shit were becoming rock stars in the industry and other people wanted to follow suit um productions were going down because now you didn't have to worry about distribution. All you had to do was get your shit out on video and then the video rental stores buy it. And it doesn't really matter if somebody rents that movie once or rents that movie a thousand times. You're getting your money. Yeah, duplication was cheap. Stickers were cheap. Box art was cheap. (laughs) As cheap as you could make it. It was a lot less expensive than distributing DVDs by far. A lot of film studios were creating miniature offshoot studios that solely dealt in direct-to-video releases. Things like Basket Case were getting made all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And not just backlot beauties either. These are like really professional level set direction. Mm -hmm. But of course with no no budget, no time and be great actors. (laughs) <laughs> Which brings us to Basket Case. As far as, a, as far as a cult classic, it's a really small cult for this film. It's not a cult classic like Rocky Horror Picture Show. That's a cult classic. Every fucking person in the planet and their dog has watched it several times. Yeah, Wes, Wes is among them. Yeah. And it's being run in theaters monthly around the world. It's a cult classic, though. Yeah. With a massive cult. This is a cult classic for real, though. Yeah, maybe I'm being too, like, flying too loose with the term cult classic. Everybody does. But it definitely is not popular based off its technical merits. It has this cult built around it, worshipping this little amorphous blob. Like Soul Tangler. People, that's a soul, that's a cult classic to 
that's a lot smaller of a cult. Do you think that people like Soul Tangler, though, because it's so fucking bad and they just want to be dare to be different and they're like, no, 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 this movie's amazing? Most of them, yes. You think so? Most of them, yes. And then there's those few people like me who likes um, Manus the Hands of Fate. For, for what it is and enjoys it as a film. There's like me and like this one other guy somewhere in the world that thinks like that and the rest of them are just, you know, paying lip service to it and jumping on the coattails of the quote-unquote cult. Um, this one, I think, like, you know, I could ride that fence between liking it because it's so bad or actually liking some things because I found myself pointing things out like if this were a serious film, this would mean this. Or interpreting things. You don't interpret things in movies that are so bad. You only like them because they're so fucking bad. You don't sit back and analyze them. But this is us, though, Lydia. This is literally <laughs> what the fucking show is. Yeah. We take horror movies and we overthink them. And then we try to make them mean something more than just throw away garbage. Right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like Boglins. Like throw away Boglins. <laughs> throw away garbage. <laughs> Hang on a second. Boglins were amazing. They were not throwing carpet. When was the last time you saw a Boglin in real life? In the 1980s. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> so there's somebody's throwaway garbage. But like you pointed out, they are pretty inexpensive now on eBay. So I'm, I'm tempted. Or you could just like sift through the garbage like... You know that documentary where they found all those E.T. Atari boxes? Yeah. I bet you there's like somewhere around just above the E.T. level of garbage, there's the fucking Boglin cachet, just like this a rich vein of Boglins. Right in- under the Cabbage Patch dolls, and that's why no one's discovered it yet? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's like probably. They, they only dig to the Cabbage Patch dolls, they don't dig to the Boglins. Because I would enjoy the larger Boglin that looks almost exactly like our star. The Boglin I had as a kid was the exact same color as uh, Belial. Belial. Yeah. Yeah. The first time I heard about this film, I was it was probably like 1992-ish, something like that. Yeah. And it was a, it had a spread in Fango. Vassal Case 3 had a spread in Fango. So whatever year Vassal Case 3 came out. Um, and then 91, I, I think. 91? Okay. So it was probably like 91, 92 then. Mm-hmm. It was a uh, before college early high school but uh they had many stills many production stills from basket case three and i'd never watched it up until the other day i watched the beginning of basket case three where in all those stills live and holy fuck that is a fucking warped beginning of a film that i desperately need to see i really want this trilogy now but back then i read about basket case three went and rented basket case and enjoyed the hell out of it, but didn't pay as close attention to it, of course, because it was one of those horror films that was just popped in and while I did other stuff and just to have a horror film on the screen, I suppose. I'm very proud to own it now. <laughs> Years later. Well, you ain't kidding. The fucking first five minutes of Bassy Case 3 is a fucking gong show, man. Yeah. <laughs> it really is unbelievable in a way. Um, looking back, like, wow, people were watching this and writing about this in magazines? Wow. Yeah. I, I feel a lot better about the roots of horror and horror journalism, having known that there was an awesome issue of Fango out there somewhere on Basket Case 3, which I wouldn't mind owning. Speaking of things that you could probably get online for not too much money. Yeah. Or too much money, depending. Yeah, it kind of depends which issue. I went and got an issue of Fangoria that was the first one that my dad ever brought me. Mm-hmm. I went back and I got it. And I think it only cost me like 
three, four bucks. Yeah, some of them are really inexpensive. Unlike, like, the first issue of Rue Morgue is very, very, very expensive. Well, the first issue of Rue Morgue, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, was handed out on the street. Yeah. Like, it wasn't even officially... The same person who owned the Fango magazine was my friend Kim. It was her brother, Sean. He was a huge horror fan. And we used to, like, hang out in his room when he wasn't there, which wasn't all as bad as it sounds because he didn't (laughs) mind. Um, But he had, like, massive amounts of horror stuff at the time that was contemporary for the time, which now would be, like, a treasure trove of horror memorabilia if he were to have saved it all, which I highly doubt, but he had original hand-issued issues of Room Morgue. So that was, like, really the genesis of a lot of my more underground horror watching and more direct-to-video horror watching outside of, like, the Freddies and Jasons and stuff like that, which all of my friends were watching and renting regularly, mm-hmm. was me and Kim hanging out in her older brother's room mm-hmm. because we would be able to read the magazines that we weren't typically buying. And he would be talking, and him and his friends would be talking about the films that they had seen, which were outside of that, on the fringe of horror, Mm -hmm. like Basket Case was at the time, and still is. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know anyone that's watched Basket Case recently. Yeah, me either. But then again, you're pretty much the only one that I know that likes horror movies as much as I do. Maybe more. I don't know about that. (laughs) When I think about that vast pile of plastic that you cuddle up to every night when you go to sleep it's pretty vast to be fair it's the only thing that loves me Hmm, that is fair Mm -hmm. sometimes i wish i could just take all of my horror movies put them in a big basket and carry them around with me at all times oh man that'd be cool would they talk to you well in my head right and i'd just be like ah i'm trying to sleep (laughs) when was the first time you encountered basket case the first time I ever encountered Basket Case was in the good old video biz on Alta Vista when I was a wee lad of probably 11 or 12. And I can't really remember what the VHS box looked like, but I remember seeing the little amorphous blob on the back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the cover, the original cover is pretty plain. It was just... Uh... I think it looked more like someone creep, like looking out of the basket. Yeah, I think, I think you might be right. Yeah, it looked a little more human than Bilal actually does. And mm-hmm. it was uh, monochrome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, the, the, the thing about me and horror is always that I didn't really have a lot of friends around me that even really liked it. I was always the monster kid. I was the kid that liked horror. And I felt like the weird one, the odd one out, because everyone else liked things that were typical. And don't get me wrong, I liked things that were typical of the era as well, but there was always this draw to horror. So anytime that I went to Video Biz or to the Jumbo Video that was just across the way that had an awesome horror section too, complete with like a big overstuffed uh, dummy in the corner that you could look through the glass and all you could see was like this this zombie bloated looking dude kind of looked like a more decrepit version of Igor from Hilarious House of Frightenstein. Oh, cool. Aside from that and midnight movies when I was supposed to be asleep on the weekends, there wasn't a whole lot of, of outside influence. So a lot of it for me was going to the video store and just renting things blind, not knowing what anything was. So when I would... <laughs> Get basket case. Uh, I watched it then and I watched it today. And I got to tell you, aside from one scene in particular, I didn't really remember the movie at all. Like, and, and I guess when you're at a certain age, you don't really 
know what bad acting is? I still kind of don't even know what bad <laughs> acting is. That's a funny question that I ask myself a lot of the times. Yeah. Yeah, watching a film and being like, now, is this just really bad acting? Or is this, like, am I waiting for him to, or this person to, like, explain through their character why they're acting this way? Or, like, should I just ignore it and accept it? Like, we're going to be doing a hammer horror, and to, in my eyes, all of it's bad acting, but, you know, it's hammer horror, and everyone loves it, and it's the cornerstone of horror as we know it today, so it can't be all that bad, right? Or am I just being a bitch? That's the other one that comes up. Is this bad acting, or am I just being a bitch? Well, I've, in my experience with you, if they're not distracting you with a lot of gore, you tend not to, you tend to dial into things that no one else notices. You're like, this isn't gory enough, which is basically, anytime you're like, I don't like this movie, in my head, instantaneously, I'm just like, oh, there wasn't enough violence <laughs> in it for I like movies that have no violence, or little violence. I'm planning on watching The Shining later. Really? Yeah, because I want to watch him play handball in the, I want to hear the echoes of the handball. I don't know why. That's what I want to do today. Really? Yeah. Do you want to know something that's interesting? Because the thing that I love the best about that movie is also auditory. Yeah. I love the scenes where Danny is riding his little plastic bike and it goes his from... big wheel? Yeah. Yeah. His, and it goes from hardwood floor to carpet. I love that. To hardwood floor to carpet. And, and for some reason... I love that scene because I love the sound. Yeah, yeah. That's another thing I want to hear. When <laughs> Isn't that fucked I, I up? I want to watch this to hear I wonder it, if anybody yeah. else out there likes The Shining for certain scenes, but for the sound of it only. Probably, and it would be an, a, an interesting question to ask if you ever get talking about The Shining with people. I'm definitely watching it because half the U.S. is going to be snowed in today. If not tonight, tomorrow, if not already. Oh, yeah. With, like, fucking storm of the century, which is terrifying and sad. Although, looking outside at our, what, couple feet of snow. <laughs> it's very sunny out. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. So I feel kind of bad. So I'm going to be watching that in honor of our American friends that are being buried. You should call some friends that you know that are going to be buried in snow and just say, just to let you know... I know how you feel. I'm watching The Shining. Or I live in Canada. I live in Canada. Yeah. No, I'm definitely going to watch The Shining, and I'm definitely going to say hello to uh, the guys at Blind Torture Cast, Chris specifically, just in case he's snowed in mm -hmm. and has no other means of communication <laughs> <laughs> and needs like some sort of like skidoo oh, to God. rescue him. <laughs> it is a perfect winter movie, actually. Basket Case, on the other hand, is an anytime movie. It is an anytime movie. Now we've covered a couple of films in the in the past. We keep talking, uh, skirting around what this fucking movie is about. So we've covered a couple of movies in the past. Uh, Driller Killer comes to mind that take place in New York. Mm -hmm. Maniac is another. A Maniac is another one. Yeah. And these movies all coming out around the same time all have a very similar aesthetic, uh, getting very authentic New York type people in the movies. What we're treated to is a young man showing up at a hotel with a basket in his hands. But not before we're treated to a very bizarre death scene where, a, where somebody in big glasses is scared out of his mind. And when the lights go out, he's like, oh, no. And then he grabs his piece. He's got himself a fucking shooter. So don't fuck around. Yeah, I got a gun. He's got a gun. We're in the land of rotary phones here, people. Yeah, you it's true. I mean? Operator, operator. Yeah. <laughs> 
So he's shooting at shadows, and I'm screaming at the television that shadows don't work like that. That's true. And we get to see... It's clear that he's some sort of doctor, because it's a doctor's office of some sort. Mm-hmm. And he ends up getting dead, and blood spatters across this medical file. Which I think is something that's missed, because when I'd first picked this film up, I'd read a couple of reviews where... People allude to the medical file that our main character, Dwayne, carries around with him. But they seem to forget where it came from. Mm-hmm. And they seem to find it funny that it's spattered in blood. And I find it hilarious that it's spattered in blood. But it's like they missed that pre-credit sequence where mm-hmm. the blood gets spattered on it. Yeah. Yeah. So our main character, Dwayne, with his basket and medical file that's spattered in blood, rents a room downtown New York where I think that particular street that he walks down on his way to the hotel is probably featured in all the films that we mentioned, you know, Maniac and Driller Killer, where there's the peep show that used to exist, or if it doesn't still exist, probably not, uh, in Times Square. Yeah, in Times Square, yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, I have this weird fascination, and I realized it recently in a conversation with a friend of mine, that I have this extreme fascination with pre-Giuliani New York. Doesn't everybody, though? There's this set, I just love the urban decay. And I love movies that are about it. And even more so, I like movies that take place in the not too distant future or comics or whatever, where it just assumes that it all just gets worse from here. Yeah. Like there'll never be a cleanup. They'll never, you know, it like, you know, Times Square is never going to be fucking Disneyland. Yeah. Um, it's always just going to be a place with rats and prostitution and drugs and uh, peep shows. People and... throwing televisions out their fucking windows. Yeah, people, the people fuck. in bathrobes yeah. screaming at each other yeah. and just as gritty as gritty gets, right? And people shoving entire hamburgers in their mouths and folding up pizza <laughs> and just eating it right up to the crust. Right up to the crust, Wes. <laughs> the entire slice of sauce all over their cheeks. Fuck, I hate those people. And this is a weird hotel because... People are staying there, but people are also living there as semi-permanent tenants. I guess for 20 bucks a day, if you were eking out a living doing any number of things, you could probably swing that. And you guess you'd be living in Times Square, too. Yeah, like, and that's a conversation we had while watching this, because to this day, many people do live in hotels. There are tenants in almost every single hotel you encounter. I've seen uh, some really nice condo-style, high-rise hotels that have many of the penthouse suites are rented out permanently to high powered executives or you know traveling businessmen salespeople, stuff like that uh, consultants especially downtown ottawa we get a lot of uh lobbyists that will live here through the summer months and stuff like that i had no idea yeah then you have the exact same sort of thing going on in your small motor lodges and small like you know 45 dollar a night not even a Motel 6, like a Motel 2, Motel 1.2. Oh, God. Yeah, really seedy, seedy fucking gross roach motels where they will have tenants, definitely. And I've definitely seen the gamut of tenants that live within the hotel industry from prostitutes and junkies and, you know, mechanics. It's it's a cheap fucking place to live. And a lot of the time it is close to their work. Same idea as the people that are living in a high-rise hotel, condo-style in a downtown metropolitan area. So I don't... It's, it's not weird to me. I was taken totally aback. I'd never heard of such a thing. It seems that the, the population of this hotel 
run by the best hotel manager I've ever met in my life. He's pretty good. Yeah, played by, uh, my brain wants to say Fred Vogel, but his name was Robert Vogel. Okay. Um, and he was actually like from the actor's studio. He was a, a theater actor. That's why he's the only good actor in this film. So He's definitely playing a character. And oh, great. it's not like, other people are kind of playing characters in a sense that they're reading lines poorly. <laughs> this yeah. guy, his dialogue isn't strong but that's not him that's the script to act as bad as everyone else in the film i would have to act badly yeah i could act better just trying to act and i'm no actress but this guy is a fucking fine actor and he's playing yeah a really believable and very like niche new york you know pre-giuliani hotel manager yeah but this hotel population seems to be mixed of um like one-third tenants yeah and having one-third of people who are, are renting, apparently, and the one-third of rooms that are left empty for people who are going to pay by the hour. Wink, wink. Well, I mean, it looked like they had more than a few ladies of the night that stayed at this particular lodging. You mean the ones that hung out outside, leaned up against a car? Yeah. 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 Probably. You could do a crossover. With, mm-hmm. like, Driller Killer, Maniac, and Basket Case. I would love to. And you could probably find scenes that you could splice them in, especially when they're walking around downtown, because there are outdoor night downtown scenes in all of these films that you could probably splice all together and make one epic four-hour downtown New York fucking death movie. It'd be awesome. Oh, my God, yeah. Sorry, like, that just excited my imagination. Yeah, it should excite the imagination of all. All <laughs> horror fans. All-American 80s horror fans. But unlike Driller Killer and Maniac, which are very much fixated on killers who could probably exist, the killer in Basket Case is not anything that could exist. <laughs> it's Except a Boglin. In, in Boglin. It's, it's yeah, a Boglin. It is a Boglin. And I so totally want a Boglin, and I'm just going to perch it up amongst my pillows on my bed. <laughs> the eyes glowed in the dark and you could like make them look in either direction that's so cool it's super cool yeah. whatever happened to those toys man like you said they're in a landfill under the cabbage patch dolls <laughs> and above the et cartridges <laughs> um so Dwayne is in new york it's his first time he seems very reserved and wooden and like he doesn't really want to be there kind of aloof he seems very uh fixated on keeping that basket close to him yeah, aloof is a good term. When someone asks him, are, are you checking in alone? He's like, yep, alone. Just me, alone. All alone. By myself. <laughs> yeah, he's aloof. Yeah, like totally not suspicious whatsoever. But I mean, people generally treat him with a eh, shrug, whatever. I don't care. Especially the, the hotel manager. He's just like, eh, whatever. I'm sure that's not even the craziest person that he's seen that day. Mm-hmm. True. So, but what's in the basket? That's what everyone wants to know. Yeah. What, what is in the basket? What's in the basket? What's his brother? No, it's laundry. No, it's... Uh, it's just like, his clothes. It's his clothes. <laughs> and then it was a hurt cat at one point. But the point, <laughs> what it actually is, it's his brother. Bilal. Uh, he is one half of a conjoined twin. His brother didn't develop fully. He's really just a head and vestigial arms. Yeah. And I would say overdeveloped teeth. For what teeth that exist overdeveloped, sure. There's not that many of them, but But what he has... It's shark-like. Yeah, yeah, it's shark-like, very much so. He doesn't seem to have vocal cords, and I guess there's no real throat or neck. 
to speak of. True. Although he does put those hamburgers somewhere. Yeah, but he doesn't he doesn't have a butt. So where do they? Where does it all come out? Where does Who it cleans go? the fucking basket? That's what I always wondered about Prince Radian. If you've seen Ted or Todd Browning's Freaks, mm-hmm. uh, Radian, the human torso. Yep. Um, wonderful guy. He's probably like a real laugh, and the whole rolling cigarettes with just his mouth. Thing. Oh, that was amazing! What a he cool was totally scene. amazing. And he seemed like he's probably he was probably a hard drinking, hard smoking guy, like all the the circus freaks at that time. But um, he seemed. It's like from facial expressions and some photos that I've seen to have a really decent personality, much better personality than Lobster Boy. And who knows, someday we'll make talk on the show about Lobster Boy, but Lobster Boy was a fucker. Um, but anyway, I always wondered who washed the sack. The only thing we get to see close to Bilal getting cleaned at all, like there's no liner in the basket. It's just a basket. It's awfully rude if he cares about his brother that much. Is mm-hmm. he takes a little dip in the toilet at one point. Mm, toilet water. Yeah. And that's the closest to cleaning that happens. Like, yeah, where does his shit go? Where does his piss go? Like, where does his jizz go? Well, I don't know if he can actually have sex. At least not until the third one. <laughs> yeah, the beginning of Basket Case 3 leads me to believe that he can definitely perform. But um, who cleans the basket? That's what I want to know. Especially since he... Uh... Dwayne? Dwayne. Yeah. Fuck. Ever since, especially since Dwayne drops what could only be described as a pallet full of hamburgers into the fucking basket. Like an armload. <laughs> an armload of fucking hamburgers so his brother could eat them all. But what they're doing in New York is they they need to get fiery revenge, Lydia. Yeah. On the people that separated them. This is all Bilal's idea. Now, while he's not fully formed, has no throat, can't really talk, he can talk to his brother telepathically. He's got psychic powers. It's crazy. Yeah. Which is not really explained as to why. Maybe because the rest of him wasn't developed, so he's got like a super big brain. I'd like to think that he's actually really smart. He's like all brain. Yeah. I like Krang from the Ninja Turtles. That's what I was just thinking. But... Krang wasn't, he didn't have, he wasn't quite as libidinous. <laughs> well, it was a children's show. <laughs> You're right. You're right. You're right. Okay, sure. <laughs> like what you don't see is all the B-reels of Krang just trying to get laid hardcore. <laughs> and freaking ah! out when other people do. April O'Neil. Ah! I'm not a whore. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so it is fiery revenge. It's all Bilal's idea. They're hunting down Dr. Needleman and Dr. Cutter. Dr. Cutter and Dr. Needleman. It's like fucking pro wrestler names. Totally. It's like they're evil doctors, pro wrestlers. I could see them up against the Bushwhackers. Oh yeah, hell yeah. That'd be alright too. Well, doctor is in. But. (laughs) But. But armed with a phone book, Dwayne has no trouble tracking them down in Disney New York, where he's never been and doesn't know his way around. Fuck, I know. He uses that line on the receptionist at Dr. Needleman's office. By the way, this doctor's office is the filthiest, most unequipped fucking doctor's office I've ever seen in my entire life. It kind of reminds me of what I envisioned from uh, this episode of Sword and Scale. They covered the Philadelphia abortion clinic from hell. 
And that's sort of what it would remind me of. Really? Yeah, I'm waiting for like broken jars of fetuses and goose. Oh, God. That's what this place looks like. But it's also at a time where doctors could smoke cigarettes. And, you know, my dentist, when I was a child, often smelled like cigarettes because he had just had one in his office and then come in to work on my mouth. So that semi explains it. This doctor also shoves an entire sandwich in his mouth in one gulp. That's our first introductory scene of this fool. Like a moray eel. I'm glad he died. <laughs> now, Belial has very few methods at his disposal to kill people. And one of the things that strikes me as the fucking craziest thing about this movie is how there is no quick, silent deaths. This is not a stock and slash where a girl turns a corner and then all of a sudden there's a knife in her head and then we cut away and that's it. These death scenes linger for so long and people are howling at the top of their fucking lungs. So one of the things that I would warn anybody when you're getting into this fucking movie is this little puppet thing is going to scream. Everyone he kills is going to scream and they're just going to keep screaming. And everyone who sees him is going to scream. Everyone who hears the screaming is going to scream. <laughs> it's just, you're screaming. You really don't like the screaming. Dude. It's just so high pitched and grating. And I don't mind. Obviously, I'm a horror fan. So screaming goes with it. You know, screaming is like the, the songs of angels to you. In a way. Yeah, like the purring of a kitten. In a much more accurate way, I think that screaming is great if used a little bit more in moderation. Especially, uh, we're jumping ahead, but to Dr. Cutter's death, which, man, oh man, does that woman not want to die. No, yeah, that is like the the origin of the term squeen, scream queen. If it wasn't born with her, holy crap. Yeah, she does scream a lot. But everyone screams a lot. The, the girls because, scream a lot. Belial himself screams a fucking lot. Yeah, every time something happens that he doesn't like, he's just like... <laughs> See, if I was Belial, as far as you're saying, like the, the deaths, he does have very few methods at his he, Well, he can bite disposal. people, and he's got very powerful arms. He can claw people. He can claw yeah. people, yeah. Bite and claw. He seems to like mash his hands into your face a lot and then you go off camera and then you go back on the camera and you're just covered in blood. Yeah. Yeah. That's all he could really do, you know what I mean? But if I was Bilal, I'd just like wiggle around on the floor and trip them. And they'd crack their head open on a desk and no screaming involved. But so it'd be kind of more like Puppet Master desks. Yeah, puppet yeah. Master desks are always like grabbing someone's feet and then they fall down and then people, they just climb all over them. Because yeah. you're like, how else are these little things going to get up to my face and chest and my vitals? Yeah, exactly. That's what I would do if I was Belial. But it's far more flashy if he gets on your face somehow. Well, he seems to be able to... Like leap. Leap. Uh, there's some special effects in this movie that would... Make Ray Harryhausen weep. Yeah. With envy. Eat your heart out. I know. Oh, my God. There's some stop motion where uh, Blyle loses his fucking shit when Dwayne goes out on a date with this receptionist who is totally fucking into them. This guy is like fucking catnip. Is it the hair? Is it the hair? This is, it must be the hair. Not to me. Not to me. Maybe it's the eyes. He has nice eyes. He, well, hang on a second here. We've established in the show that you're not the best judge of character when it comes to people's eyes. He had kind eyes. <laughs> it's a reference to uh, Alice, sweet Alice 
check out that episode. Yeah, yeah, for a laugh, <laughs> and then you can see how I have no judge of character when it comes to his um, eyes. Yeah. He also kind of looks like an automaton, like his dead eyes, like they're, they're, there's nobody home. Oh man, especially when he's like, oh, I'm going to get laid. He just like, I've never seen a more hateful look in someone's <laughs> eye. <laughs> but they could be, you know, he's, you know, to overanalyze this film, he's thinking about the aftermath. So every time he goes to get, you know, intimate with a woman, of course he has this like look of hatred because he's like, oh man, I'm going to catch hell when I get home. Bilal's probably tearing the house up like two Rottweilers that found a fucking can of Coke. Well, they have a psychic connection so he can tell when uh, his uh, brother is losing his fucking mind. Yeah, yeah. Because he can hear Bilal, but Bilal can't hear him. Yeah. Yeah. Bilal can only hear him when he speaks out loud, but Bilal can read his thoughts to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. He can't hear what he's saying to him, but he can read his thoughts, but... Everything that Belial does is projected loudly, apparently, mm-hmm. into Dwayne's mind. Well, it can interrupt his sleep and, and, and not allow him to get back to sleep. So. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be able to... Um, it works over long distance as well. Although, for most of the film, Dwayne is carrying his brother in the basket mm-hmm. from doctor's office to doctor's office and out on dates and to the bar and stuff like that. A lot of these scenes are done with just Dwayne with nothing to work with sometimes not even the puppet where you can look at a face and i actually thought that was interesting watching this movie watching so many actors interact with this ridiculous looking practical effect because it doesn't even really look good no especially with just like the, the 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 sort of frozen floppy arms and I mean, the face has a bit of movement to it. Uh, it seems to... They clearly are using more than one puppet throughout the movie because there's clearly different looks. Yeah. They never got the face exactly the same in all instances. Yeah. A lot of scenes are basically just one or two actors kind of working off of nothing. There's people... one or two scenes where the puppet is, in, is entirely static and not moving. Yeah. And whether it's that the, the puppet is asleep or that the puppet... Or Belial. Let's call him by his proper name. Yeah. Because he is a humanish being-ish. True, true. Um, and there's scenes where he's sitting on someone's lap and he's still and he's not. The toilet like... scene that you're talking about, he's, he's literally... It's just not even... There's no movement or anything yeah. whatsoever yeah. and it's it's uh the actor picking him up and manipulating him himself or the camera motion creates a, a glint of light in the eyes which almost gives you an illusion that there's something going on there yeah. but so, it is a static doll at that point mm-hmm. but why the doctors well we learn through a complicated backstory that well Dwayne was born with his brother and in childbirth like killed their mother because i guess passing something like that would be awful and the father is not pleased whatsoever he says some pretty horrible heinous things at what i would assume is their mother's wake yeah it seems to be because everyone's standing around in mourning like and he's ranting at the baby crib in the foyer (laughs) mm -hmm. the only one that seems to be on this kid's side these boys side is their aunt who seems very sweet and understanding and loving at first, but then it gets to the point where you're probably pretty creepy. Um, Because eventually, as they grow older, and Belial is always considered a monster, uh, aberration, uh, uh, not even a human, not even his son, the father's son. He's, He's just this thing attached to their son. So he develops 
understandably, quite a lot of hatred towards that. And the final straw is when they overhear that three doctors have been called to the house. By the father, who at the their birth had said things like, didn't want to name Belial. Mm-hmm. They didn't want he didn't want to pick two names because he didn't want it to be as if he had two sons instead of one freak yeah yeah so that attitude of his of his father had carried on through their whole life so now they're about like what 13 14 15 something like that yeah and they're woken up in the night and dragged out of their room mm-hmm. into an operating screaming yeah screaming always the screaming just for you mm-hmm. um and they've created this makeshift operating room in the dining room. In the dining room. Yeah. And they... What, Sanitary as fuck, I'm sure. The weird thing about this is that the doctors say that they're not sharing any organs. And the only thing that they're sharing is flesh. But if the brother is removed, the uh, Belial is removed, he would certainly die. But other doctors wouldn't allow this operation to go forth. I guess that was because Dwayne wasn't any in any medical harm. So by and since they thought they would definitely kill him, they wouldn't perform the surgery. Is that why? That's part of it, I think. I think it's also like they just didn't want to deal with it because Bilal's pretty fucking creepy looking and pretty scary looking. Like you saw the one was it a doctor or a, a social aid worker that had been brought to the house and the aunt brings her upstairs yeah, to show. Yeah, she was horrified. Yeah, she's totally horrified. So I'm sure some doctors' like reaction were similar, but it probably did have as much to do with the fact that it wasn't, you know, ruining Dwayne's life to have this growth. Because at that point, they're treating it like a, a non-cancerous, non-invasive growth. Daisy and Violet Hilton were very famous Siamese twins back in the vaudeville and burlesque days. And... I guess it was found out afterward, after they spent their entire lives together, and a very full life. There's some documentaries out there that I highly recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really interesting. Daisy and Violet were outspoken. They were beautiful. They got married off and on in sham marriages and stuff like that. And they could sing and dance-ish. And they apparently were only joined by flesh as well. It would have been a very simple procedure to separate them and they both had their own arms and legs and everything so it would have been very easy to separate them and i don't know why they never did so in light of that it's probably part of the doctor's thinking that it's better to keep conjoined twins together just because historically they had done so ironically ish the father had to contract some veterinarians to actually pull off this procedure we don't find that out till later on when Dwayne goes to hunt down the final doctor and he seems like, to have the attitude of like they're not even real doctors <laughs> she's a veterinarian i know it's yeah. strange i think it's kind of cute but then it's kind of interesting to look back i guess they didn't want to have to worry about what doctors would have to say about a film like this if many doctors were watching basket case <laughs> You see, like, a room full of doctors with, like, leather high-back chairs and their monocles and watching Basket Case, like, My word! No medical professional would ever perform such barbarous tactics! Like, they sit around watching Human Centipede doing the exact same thing. And then they're like, Oh, oh, I see. They are veterinarians. (laughs) Quite, indeed. (laughs) I think that's exactly what they were going for. But you gotta admit that Bilal is a little animalistic. 
Yeah, he's fucking apeshit crazy, man. He fucking freaks out all the time. He freaks out when poor Dwayne is trying to get a little poontang on the side. I wish they would have made that a little more clear. And not to be like, I wanted to see more of Dwayne Mac and the ladies, as you say, as they say. Yeah, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> 25 years ago. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know these terms. Um, not that I would have wanted to see Dwayne spending more time with more women, because that, like, isn't... That, that plot device is fleshed out. But a lot of what Bilal's reactions, uh, not until the end do you really figure out where his anger is coming from. You almost think that he's more like an unruly dog trashing the apartment because Dwayne's just not in it. Mm-hmm. But what it is, is that Dwayne is out on a date and smiling and laughing and getting a kiss from a girl and Belial is jealous. Mm-hmm. But Belial is a little sex creep himself because when after we learn this uh, harrowing backstory of these two conjoined twins, the the, uh, the 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 friend that he's made, the the woman in the in the building, she goes to sleep, and he's in her room. And he's like taking her panties and touching her boob, and then when she wakes up and screeches because it's this fucking craziest looking thing just sitting in your bed and so he's allowed to go feel up some neighbor lady but Dwayne's not allowed to you know go on a picnic date go on a picnic date that's crazy to me it is crazy and I think it's kind of strange to look back in the 80s where it's like you're thinking like well of course that's how Bilal's behaving because you get deviant behavior unless you're you know emptying your balls regularly and he's not doing that, so of course he's going to go and steal underwear and, like, creep on ladies and touch their boobs while they're sleeping. It seems like that's the normal progression of someone who's not getting laid in the 80s, where in films nowadays, there's seven different types of wrong with that. Yeah. But we often like to just shut our brains off or dial our brains back to the era in which these films were made. That's true. Although, let me say this much his lady that he sort of picked out or i guess picked out him is super into him immediately and she's like oh there's just something different about you she's so into him but yet he's done nothing but really be kind of aloof in front of her and then he's just screams at her every other time and throws her out of the rooms and and she like always just wants to see him and look you see okay like, the idea that no one can piece together that this guy it has a trail of dead bodies everywhere he fucking goes. Yeah. Like, his father was killed. They, uh, we skipped over that. Uh, his father is definitely killed by some fucking Rube Goldberg machine. <laughs> like, like, saw thing that, like, Jigsaw would be proud of. To kill I, there's the... a giant circular saw in the basement in this house that he gets dead on. And later on, the ant is like... You know, no one knows where you were when your father died and no one knows how it happened. I'm like, no one figured out because he was sawed directly in half beside a circular saw. No one figured this out. Did you hide the circular saw? This is why no one can piece together this trail of bodies following Dwayne because they can't put two and two together looking at a body sawn in half and a circular saw in the same room. They're like, a guy was killed. We could probably reveal that at some point he secretly hired three doctors who went to a place now they're all turning up dead this guy okay so even this woman her experience with this guy she met him on she met him she went on a date with him the day the next day 
in the date he wigged out, ran back to his place, screeching and hollering, and a murder had taken place. She goes back to work. Her boss, who he was the last person to see, is now dead. Like, like, what? I, if I were her, I just, I wouldn't feel like going on a date at all. I wouldn't be interested in seeing this guy who had been the last person with my dead boss. And he's acting strange. He's obviously acting strange. And you know what? If I were her, when I think about it, he was acting strange from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Very strange. Yeah. Because yeah. he said, he gave her his name and he said, oh, wait, don't use my name. It's a surprise. And then, or, or so like, here's my name is like something stupid, like Smith. And she's like, okay. And he's whispering to her to make this date plan. She's like, why are we whispering? And he's like, because I don't want him to hear. And she's like, who, the doctor? And he's like, no, my brother. <laughs> no one in the fucking room. Yeah. yeah. He does a couple things like that that are, that are obviously fucking crazy. Yeah. And if we didn't know that his brother was in the basket, he would just be as crazy as Franken fucking maniac and pizza gobbler from Driller Killer. I would love this movie if we found out at the end that there was nothing ever in that fucking basket, that would be amazing. If, if then it would be me, a standalone. Film. Let me, let me pitch you this. Yeah. Belial died 100% in that surgery. So now he carries around an empty basket that he believes is his dead brother, but he's so guilt ridden that he, so he like talks to nothing. That, to me, I would love that, and I would love it even, you know, take every single thing in this movie as it lays, even with Belial the puppet, with all of it, but at the very end, reveal that Belial doesn't exist. Yeah, that would be, be fucking be awesome. That would be fucking amazing. But then there'd be no sequels. And the world would be poorer for it? Tiny little cultish corners of the world would be poorer for it. There's somebody out there, I shouldn't be mean, there's somebody out there that Basket Case 3 is their favorite movie of all time. And they, yeah. they can't even go to bed without watching it. So, Well, I wouldn't go that far. But yeah, I'm sure there are people who, who hold it on that high of a pedestal. Yeah. yeah. But it would be fascinating. I dig your pitch. I dig the hell out of your pitch. I have a, a similar pitch in that I'd love to see this remade. I would love to see this remade. And that would be a fitting ending for a retelling of this. It would be very modern. Yeah. It would be very modern. Super modern because I'd like... You know, a, a marriage of the Lynches, uh, the unrelated Joe Lynch and David Lynch, or as unrelated you as You had I said that when we, when we started, and I was like, obviously I know the name David Lynch, but for some reason my brain was farting, and you're like, Twin Peaks, dumbass. And I'm, you didn't say dumbass, but, but I was like, oh my God. And then when we're going through this house, I would have said something like, oh, it's like Melrose Place, except everyone's ugly. But, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but because like there's so many characters that just pop in, that live in this building. Or, like you said, twins. There's twins. or Yeah, there's some very David Lynch tropes hidden in this movie. And I think it warrants a rewatch for people who aren't even fans of weird, gory, campy 80s horror at all. If you're a David Lynch fan, fucking watch Basket Case because it's got a score. It's got a Bad Lamenti type score in it. Mm -hmm. It's got these characters that are in and of themselves, these crazy little stories that, yeah, flit in and out. It's got the worst acting question mark. I Because it's sometimes you can't tell it because it's so bad. It's, it, I would say conservatively, 
on the on the larger scale productions. This is not a big scale production, mm-hmm. but of the bigger because I'm gonna exclude shit like Bone Setter and all that kind of stuff that's like made with a handy cam with a bunch of people who aren't actors. Mm-hmm. These are people who probably maybe some of them aren't really actors, but they fancied themselves as actors. Yep. And this had enough of a budget. This is probably this probably has the largest collection of bad actors I've seen. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because <laughs> it's not even like it's a small cast. The, those hallways are stuffed with people. And like we were saying, you know, from from like the, the older woman with too much makeup on her face that comes in with like a bunch of exposition about who owned the room before before Dwayne started renting it. She literally tells a story walking up the stairs. Once the story is done, it's like cut and she it's like a play almost she turns around and walks away yeah, yeah. exit stage left yeah it's like a play like, it's like she, she never existed yeah and she just turns around stops talking he doesn't say he doesn't even say goodbye yeah. she just stops her sentence turns on her heel and walks down the stairs yeah sometimes there's people in these scenes that are just like mannequins the scene that i lost my damn mind to <laughs> was where after uh, uh his uh new girlfriend gets thrown out of the bedroom because he, they're about to have sex and uh Belial goes apeshit. She runs down the stairs, screams, Dwayne! And then turns back around and runs down the stairs. Meanwhile, there's like two people in that hallway that may as well be like cardboard cutouts. They're just there to dress the scene. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it very, it's very fitting. You could plunk a few of these scenes into David Lynch films, and I would I would love to see his treatment of this. Um, <laughs> of course, I can't see him really wanting to handle the gore and that's where joe lynch comes in yeah, there you yeah. go yeah i think that'd be fun so there's there's my my pretend happy making scenario pitch for a lynch and lynch remaking of basket case it is the only explanation for all of this bad acting though i think that uh, uh, on the other hand like once you get to a point where everyone in the movie is acting this way it kind of becomes a, a, a situation of like yeah this is the universe that they've created yeah at the very least, it's consistent. It's not like a bunch of great actors and one terrible actor prominently shown where you're like, woof, they couldn't have gotten somebody else for that. Or it's not even like there's two bad actors and everyone else is delivering lines differently. Because sometimes when you watch a movie and a character uh, enters the scene and you're like, woof, this guy's like in a different movie. What the fuck is going mm-hmm. on? Or... It's, the, it's it's most annoying when it's a lead. When it's a lead role and the actor just can't... Even if they're not necessarily a bad actor, but they're bad in that role. Yeah. Um, but this is so I much... this is happening in Chrome Skull. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, were you, Left were... for Dead? Is that... No, wait. Oh my God, my brain. Laid to Rest. In Laid to Rest, yeah. It's really noticeable with the, the lead actress that her acting isn't on par. And there's a few people that actually are very good actors. And you can really tell where if everyone was at least close to on the same level, it wouldn't be as noticeable. Mm -hmm. But with this, it's even everyone is so bad or non-actors that even the actors have to act bad and they do a fine job. Yeah, it's true. But very like just weird expressions and weird cuts sometimes. And also nothing can pull me out of it more is when I'm really when I really feel like actors are reading lines. Oh, yeah. And and this was one of those movies where they're saying lines. They're not even really acting. They're just... I don't know if it's a lot of line readings given. I don't know if they have cue cards, for fuck's sake. Because sometimes the vacant stares they give, 
especially from uh, a Dr. Cutter, who yeah. l- looks like she's either reading cue cards off camera yeah. or she's coked out of her mind. There's a few times where it's almost like I expect them to cut to someone in the scene that we can't see in the scene yeah. that is just, you know, off to the side or something because yeah. she's staring into space delivering lines that are supposed to be addressing a group of people or one person who's standing to her left while she's looking to her right. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. So it would explain a lot. I never thought of maybe she's reading cue cards, but that would explain a lot. And there's even parts where Dwayne is supposed to be acting. He acts to the basket better than he acts to the puppet. I wonder if he has... And, and that's actually kind of different than what you would think because I know from a lot of... Uh, people that I've spoken to that it's a lot easier to act with at least something that has a face. Yeah. You can look at something's eyes uh, and just sort of get into it that way as opposed to, you know, if you're acting with a special effect and it's a ping pong ball and a stick, a lot of actors find that very challenging because you're like, I don't know how to emote to this because I don't... You draw a little face on it or something. Something. Yeah. Something for me to look at, please. Yeah. Name it Wilson. Yeah. But... He does act to the basket. And I guess he spends more fucking time with the basket. Given the scenes that are provided and how late in the game you actually see Lyle and all of his foamy glory, I would not be surprised if the primary amount of shooting time was spent on scenes with the basket. Yeah. Hence, basket case. Perfect title. I think one of the coolest scenes with the basket is almost reminiscent of the Raimi and Campbell possessed hand scene out of of Evil Dead, where after a lot of the killing has taken place and their revenge trip isn't entirely done because Bilal still hasn't got laid yet, he comes back to the hotel and Dwayne has the basket with him and he's ranting at the basket like... He's mad because he can't have a normal life and fucking Bilal always ruins everything. Mm. And he's like wrestling with the basket. And we know Bilal is very strong. So I'm sure he's like, you know, rolling and and bumping around in there, making it hard to carry. And do his crocodile death rolls. (laughs) Crocodile death rolls. That's what I'm envisioning in there. Thank you. Exactly. Yeah. And... Dwayne's also mad, so he's, like, reefing this basket around and, like, causing hell and commotion inside for his brother to get back into my gas. And he's banging on the basket, and he smashes it into a wall. And that's about the best acting they wrangle out of this guy. Yeah. Yeah, when he's angry at the basket. Mm-hmm. When, when he gets angry, he's real angry. He does, his voice hits a level it, where it's it's rage, very rageful, which is actually kind of interesting compared to the fact that he's so awkward and reserved. And sweet, almost. Yeah. Sweet and vacant, like a simple-minded person. Yeah, except when he's addressing the, the doctors that did this to him. Then he kind of, like, turns into a really crappy Saturday morning villain. Yeah. He's like, mm, remember me? Yeah. <laughs> pretty much that's pretty much exactly it when he's alone with them yeah yeah he's and like, he's about to let his brother out of the basket he's like i'm the bad guy now yeah i'm gonna go sit in the corner and cry while belial kills you and and always surrounded by so many people like the, like the amount of noise this thing makes when he kills people is crazy yeah and how he keeps getting away with it it's mind-boggling what i can't figure out is that in cutter's office because there's people in the waiting room that are hearing this go on the twin nurses which i love i love the device of these twin nurses i wish they were explored a little more had a line between them yeah. um and they're trying to get the door open 
and she's going through her hell inside and he gathers up Belial back into the basket and poof. Yeah, he he, he leaves he, he leaves through some other exit, I a guess. Window. A I think window. he goes up the chimney. That's the thing. Since it is in New York, everyone's got an open window and a fire escape, so uh, it's easy for them to get in and out of. I suppose. There's a cat burglar. Yeah. 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 I think that's exactly it. Because, I don't know, in most of the doctor's offices I've been in, there's not a back door. Yeah, exactly. Or a window to a fire escape. But... I, can see, I can see the writing in this movie was literally, and we do the death scene, and uh, he goes up the fire escape. Yeah. As a guy he trashes the uh, the hotel room and uh, yeah, he goes up the fire escape. Uh, okay, so he goes into the prostitute's room and molests her for a little bit, and then uh, uh, go up the fire escape. Like that's, 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 that's that literally how everything. he always fucking goes. Must be because yeah, yeah, he's just gone when they come back. Yeah. In. Like the hotel, I mean, I understand it's like a seedy part of the area, but with all the disturbances that are going on right when this dude showed up. Where like people are like constantly standing outside his door, screaming, wondering what the fuck's going on. Everyone on that floor is being terrorized. One dude has been fucking murdered, like, and everyone's just like, oh. Now it's interesting parallel here, actually, when I think about it, because you'd like to think the first time that there's a ruckus when there's noise they can hear from the hallway, someone's screaming and yelling. Someone's definitely screaming because that's what Belial does. And Dwayne's room is being fucking destroyed. The door is locked. Everyone in the fucking building is in the hallway trying to get in, trying to figure out who's being hurt or who's in the room because they know Dwayne's gone. And they open it and there's no one in there and the place is fucking trashed. The only explanation I could think of is a poltergeist. But they don't call the cops. Now, Chris had sent me a copy of the film Condemned, which I watched just last night. And... It's a very similar set of people, like a way more exaggerated set of people in the very, very now, very like 2015, 2016 um, film Condemned. I think it was a 2015 film. And it's the same sort of thing, though. It's not a hotel. It's a contend building. But it's got tenants and they're all very, you know, fringe. And a lot of them are things like prostitutes and junkies and stuff like that. And, and way stranger characters. But something happens and no one calls the cops because if you fucking call the cops there, they're going to just go on this like, you know, carpet bomb of arrests because everyone in the building is doing something illegal. And I suppose that's probably what we're supposed to believe is going on in this hotel is that they can't call the cops because that would be the, my natural reaction to that. I wouldn't even probably try and get into the door if I heard what was going on in that room. The very first time that everyone in this building is called into the hallway to react to something going on in Dwayne's room, which happens, what, four times in this film. The very first time they should have called the cops. Especially from the hotel manager's point of view, he's fucking destroying his merchandise. Yeah. And do you think you're going to get money out of a guy like that? Sure, he's walking around with a great big roll of fucking bills that he's not shy to show off or too dumb to fucking know he should hide. Mm -hmm. But... Your number one reaction would be to call the cops, but I guess we're supposed to believe that everyone there is either on the take or something or doing something illegal, and it's accepted that the cops aren't going to be called. Mm -hmm. What a strange film. What a strange life. <laughs> Do the cops even show up at the end? Uh, Are the cops ever, ever involved? There's an investigator, right? There's an investigator, yeah. In there investigating Cutter's death? Or no, investigating Needleman's death. Yeah. 
Because it's the same cop that talked to the girlfriend. Yeah. Okay. Well. He doesn't do a very good job. Well, Dwayne's uh, lady friend. Uh, Sharon. Sharon. Poor Sharon. Just minding her own business, sleeping in her bed. And Belial, who has now demonstrating new powers. Glowy eye powers. Glowy eyes. Glowy eye powers, which seem to mean that he can, while Dwayne is asleep, show him what he's seeing and doing. Or make him think that he's having some sort of like tripped out dream where he's running through the streets of New York naked. And his dick's just flopping all over the place. Well, Belial has no clothes on either. So if he's doing this like mind transference thing. He's like, hey, hey, if I'm naked all the time, you're going to be fucking naked. So anyway, Dwayne's running through the streets and his dick's flopping all over the place. <laughs> flop, 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 flop. It doesn't flop so much because it has this nice cushiony, billowy, curly patch of pubic hair to cushion it. Well, it's true because I just figured that as much time as he has to spend on his glam hair, he probably you know quaffs the pubes. Do you think you tease? Do you tease them and hairspray them? What? That's what he's a volumizing conditioner. I think it would be the conditioner. Yeah, yeah. Hairspray might leave things a little static down there. Does Rogaine sting? Can you use Rogaine around? You know, your your genital area, bikini line, or whatever it is that you... I've never put Rogaine on my dick, if that's what you're asking. Well, I'm not asking if you had, but could one apply Rogaine to the pubic area to mature the fluffy... Well, that's why we have science. Bush. That's why we have science. Science. Scientists could do this. So Rogaine, volumizing conditioner, teasing, hairspray, and maybe some of that, like, dry powder that girls use for the big sexy hair. He's got all that going on, and this luscious bush that he has... That is cushioning his flop dick while he runs to the streets of New York in his dream. Which isn't exactly a dream. Because this is where, if you imagine, it's sort of tricking the audience. Because you're following the very human and apparently good-looking Dwayne through the streets of New York to his girlfriend's apartment to go in and play tune in Tokyo on her boobies. Yeah, he uh, it seems to be touching her breasts like a fucking martian or something like he's never seen a naked woman before the next time i watch this when he touches their nipple i'm gonna say boop <laughs> boop yeah it actually is quite weird and then oh no it's it's not him at all and he's not having a sex dream he's having like a psychic episode yeah. and Lyle is over there he's gonna kill his lady it's kind of kind of harrowing and shocking especially if you put yourself in the mindset of you know, the storytelling and you're immersed in the story for the storytelling and not sidetracked by things like the bad acting or the comical puppet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's when Dwayne loses his fucking mind because the one person he didn't want Lyle to kill, which he suspected he would, but he couldn't help himself because... This is like he even says in his rants, this is the first girl that I ever kissed. So you could understand that he's maybe gotten close before and Belial's fucked it up. Fucked it up. Yeah. She's also seen Belial and wanted to get back into the apartment. She didn't run screaming. Yeah. So I can see him being, you know, pretty confident that if this girl if Belial would allow this girl to stick around, she would stick around. Yeah, because for some reason she really likes him. More than anybody else. But you know, she pays for that. And then so does Belial and uh, Dwayne. Because they... It's weird. 
do I, after their vengeance has been completed, do you think Belial's pretty much done? Because he throws... Like, done has, has orgasmed or done with revenge? Done with life and revenge. Done with, done because with hating be, everything Dwayne does? Because after he killed the, the object of his affection, this woman, Sharon. Only if it breaks Dwayne's will. If it breaks Dwayne's will, and now we're playing, playing some sort of psychological chess here, but if it breaks Dwayne's will and Dwayne decides, you know what, fine, fine, I, I'll just fucking carry you around for the rest of my life and dump hamburgers in the basket and probably bathe you once in a while. He probably just dips it into a big tub of Garden water. hose might be helpful. It's disgusting. Um, and I'll never try and fucking date another woman, kiss a woman, get laid, anything. I won't I won't shove it in your face anymore. I won't make you jealous of me. I will just fucking cocoon myself from society entirely, become a fucking asexual hermit, and carry the fucking basket. Fine, you win. Then he'd probably be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They could just read magazines together till old age overtakes them. Well, old age isn't gonna overtake them because they get hucked out a fucking window. In their struggles. Yeah, this is where Bilal's strength is really shown. Yeah. Yeah, he lifts his brother up by his cock. Yeah. And holds him there in midair, screaming. Yeah, because he's like, oh, I see, you want to use your cock. Well, I'll destroy your cock by holding it with my powerful vestigial arm. I can hoist a grown man. Now, he's a very slight grown man, but he's still a grown man. Yeah, he is. And and this is what we're talking, you know, not a small man that's doing this to him. We're talking about a head and an arm. Head, yeah, he, I mean, he doesn't even have a waist. He doesn't have torso. <laughs> he has he's, nothing, no upper body. He has no shoulders, really. Yeah, he's, he's just like a, a, a sphere with fucking, not a perfect sphere, but he's a sphere with fucking two bent arms coming out of it. Yeah. He doesn't even have all of his fingers. Yeah. And that, they go out the fucking window, and then, like, like fucking cliffhanger, like, he, like he's just fucking holding, uh, Lyle's holding uh, Dwayne by the neck and then onlookers are just like what's going on are you okay up there man i'm like yeah he's great he's just getting slowly strangled to death by you know his his fucking deformed twin it's quite the scene deformed twin holding his brother it's touching almost the hotel Broslin neon red behind yeah. them you know, it's, it's a very cool scene on the one hand you could get the idea that belial is not because if look if belial wanted to actually kill him uh he could have dropped him to his death and saved himself. Yeah. But instead he's trying to hold on to him, but he's, if all he can do is hold on to Dwayne by the neck, because that's what he's got him by. Mm -hmm. So by holding on to that grip, he kills his brother. But if he let go of him, he would have killed his brother, but saved himself. In this case, he opted to kill his brother and then the fall would kill, would kill him. Kind of noble. Kind of noble, and it's the least he could do after breaking his brother's will. Yeah. All they've ever had is one another, and who would lug his basket around and dip him in toilets and feed him hamburgers? Nobody. I know I wouldn't. Really makes a think. It's really sad. It's a really sad, tragic end to a sad, tragic life. You know, they call this a horror comedy, but I'm fucking going to start rolling tears. I know, right? No, it's bleak. It's touching. It's like, I just want someone to love me like that. I don't know if anyone ever could. Yeah, yeah, I got this it. Has been basket case. <laughs> this is being basket case. I don't even know anymore. God damn it. Oh, fucking, what do we got for them next? I'm, I don't care. Basket case two. 
Fuck the rest of our lineup. <laughs> Best case two. I can't. I can't go through the journey again. Well, I don't think you have to actually basket case too, but um, now before we wrap, I really want to talk about the Foley work in this. Uh, we talked at the, the beginning about how we want to watch The Shining for the sounds. I definitely, I'm not even kidding about the handball. I don't know why I want to hear that so bad. Um, we are torn, no pun intended, in the medical scene about what vegetable or fruit they used for the Foley work for the sounds of cutting Belial from Dwayne. Wes says it is a watermelon. It sounds like watermelon being split. Yeah. And I'm thinking a lettuce, a head of lettuce. When you said head of lettuce, I think I was like, oh, you know what? It could be that too. Mm, It's hard to say. When I was a little kid, I watched some behind the scenes, something that was on television about uh, some horror film and they were showing Foley work and I became fucking fascinated with it. And maybe that's why I have this fixation on the sounds. I don't know if this won any awards for the Foley work, but it should have. Something tells me this was one of those snubbed Oscar pictures. Maybe not Oscars, but there's many, many award ceremonies to choose from. I mean, Pieces won awards for its effects. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I don't know where, but it won awards of some sort. Coming up next, we have Vampire Lovers and Sleepaway Camp and Basket Case 2. No, we don't have Basket Case 2. We're not doing this until someone remakes it. Yeah. Yeah. Or they do like a Basket Case Bloodlines. Oh my God, I would so watch Basket Case Bloodlines. You don't even know. And that'd be appropriate too. You wonder how you know it's like all in the exact same family is they all have the same coiffed hair. Mm, Doug Bradley can't be in it then. Why not? Yeah, stick a wig on him. Yeah. <sighs> Blasphemy. <laughs> Jesus wept. <laughs> and on that note, I'm Wes Knight. I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air.